You could have left it there, then fine. Okay. So um, I might let the girls lead for now on forever. Um, what's up, Ronnie? Can I come give you a hug, dude? Yeah, I did. <laughs> what's up, dude? You doing good? You look good, dude. Um, I'm just really excited now, more than I was. I didn't even see you walk in, bro. It's good seeing you. Um, but I might let the let girls lead forever now, um, instead of me singing. But so you're you're welcome. You're not having to hear me scream on pitch. Uh, but um, there's this unique, there's this unique interaction that Jesus has with this, what the Bible describes as a as a rich ruler, a rich young dude. And this interaction kind of is the setup for our question today, one of the questions that were turned in to answer. And this conversation, like it, from all appearances, seems to start off really grand, like really great, right? And it's like this, this conversation where it's just like, you know, like, that is, he asked one of the greatest questions anybody could ask in this. And so to kind of get us started, I want to, I want to read this, the beginning of this interaction that Jesus has with this rich, young ruler. He says, says this in Mark 10, 17, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man came running up to him. Kneeling down in front of him, he cried out, Good teacher, what one thing am I required to do to gain eternal life? It's a great question. That's probably one of the best questions you could ever ask, right? Like, what can I do to get to heaven? That's the one that's, I mean, that's the, base, the baseline of Christianity, getting to heaven, right? And this is Jesus' response, because Jesus doesn't just straight up answer him, because Jesus always a- answers a question with, guess what? Another question. He says this, Jesus responded, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? See, this wealthy man Ask a pretty good question. I mean, it's a reasonable question. And, G- and Jesus doesn't just answer. He, he asks this guy a question back. He says, why do you call me good? Now, we can all sit in here and know why we call Jesus good, right? I mean, if we look at, looking back into history, look at what he did on the cross where he died for our sins, took our pain, took our sin upon himself, and then resurrected and get, to give us eternal life. We like we realize this, but what is what is he trying to dig out of this man? Really, what is he trying to dig out of us by asking this question? And really, it's a question that and this question is a question that we ask ourselves a lot, isn't it? What makes me a good person? Right? What? What? Like, have you ever said some said about somebody? Oh man, he's a good man. Here, he's a good woman. Right? He does good by people. Like, why do we say that? Why do we? Why do we? Why do we say I, I'm a good person? Like I like in my, in my heart, I believe that I'm a good person. We we ask that question often, right? I mean, I know I do. I mean, there was a teacher this this week. Ronnie may disagree with me since he's here, but a teacher this week said, "Mr. McCarter, you're so good at what you do." And I asked myself, "What? Like, what? What makes me good at this? Like, what makes me good at this?" Why do we call people good, and why do we say about ourselves, I'm a good person? And in this series, Ask Me Anything, the question that was turned in that we're answering today is this. It's a good question. How do you respond to people when they do not know what they believe? They think by doing the right thing, they are good people, but, but, do, not know, but do not know there is a good 
there's a God? And this is actually a really complex question. It could really be broke down into three, but we're going to see what we can do this morning. All right? So, first things first, we have to ask ourselves, what makes a person good? What makes a person good? Anybody know the Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition of a good person? Well, Merriam-Webster's dictionary describes a good person as a honest and moral person. An honest and moral person. That's how Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines a good person. So what I want to do is I want to dissect that definition a little bit and see if we can even meet our own standard of good. You ready? Yes, Derek, I'm so ready. Yes, thank you. So first things we have to understand, um, a good person is a matter of the heart. Because what comes out of the heart defines who a person is. How do you know that, Derek? Well, I'm glad you asked. All right? Proverbs 4.23 says this, So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. We'll read it again. So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are, or they affect who you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. This tells us that your heart defines who you are. What's in your heart defines who you are. So do you want to know what's in your heart? Yes, God, I wish y'all were with me this morning. Yes, Derek, I want to know what's in my heart. Okay, here we go. We've got to answer this question. First part of the definition. Are we a honest people? Thank you, Joe. Are we an honest people? Are we an honest people? Well, let's find out. Our friend Jeremiah tells us this. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Whoa. And guess who your heart lies to the most? You. You. No, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Your heart deceives you to think you're okay. Your heart deceives you to think that everybody else is okay or that person is this, this person's like, your heart is deceitful and in desperate and is desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Who really knows how bad it is? So, so let me answer this question. We have to answer this question. So our hearts lie to us. So if anybody ever comes to you and says, well, my heart is just telling me don't listen to them because their heart is deceitful. It's above reproach. Okay? So our, heart, my, our hearts lie to us, and if, we, if, if, if what's in our heart flows out of us, what does that make us? Deceitful. Liars. Dishonest. Okay, so we already can't meet up to the first of our own standard of good. You're like, I'm going to pause right here just for a second. Like, this first part's going to feel like I'm beating you all up. Okay, but just stay with me. Okay, promise me you'll stay with me. Don't like tune me out. Okay, so right off the bat, we can't meet the standard of the first part of that definition of an honest person. So what about a moral people? Are we a moral people? If you watch the news, you should know the answer to this. But just in case you haven't, let me describe it this way. Jesus tells us in Mark 7... Verse 20, he says, he added, Jesus, 
Words and deeds pollute a person, not food. Because this is just coming over an argument, what makes a person clean or what makes a person good. And in the Old Testament, Old Law, it was a bunch of ritualistic, hey, you only eat these clean things, stay pure only, you don't, you know, all this stuff. And what Jesus is saying, no, words and deeds pollute a person, not food. And verse 21 says, evil originates from inside a person coming out of a, of a human heart are evil schemes, sexual immorality, theft, and murder. Adultery, greed, wickedness, treachery, debauchery, jealousy, slander, arrogance, and recklessness. All these corrupt, corrupt things emerge from within, within and constantly pollute a person. That sounds like bottom of the barrel, like the people that we absolutely despise, right? Like if, if somebody's like that, like that's not, like I'm not going to hang out with that person. I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to, you with me? So we're trying to define what, what a good person is first. All right, and that is clearly not a good person. Like I would never be that bad of a person. Okay. Anybody in here ever have a depraved thought or evil scheme towards somebody else? Raise your hand. <laughs> if you didn't raise your hand, you liar. <laughs> okay. Has anybody in here ever had ever had a sexual immoral thought about somebody else of the opposite sex? Like, meaning you looked at somebody else and was like, ooh, man, she's hot. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so guilty again. Okay, this is a good one. Have you ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Like, even if it's like something small. Raise your hand. Man, we are failing. Okay, okay, here, I'll do an easy one. Anybody in here ever murder somebody? No, you didn't. Well, here's, here's, it's funny that nobody raised their hand in here because 1 John 3.15 says, everyone who keeps hating a fellow believer is a murderer and you know that no, one, no, no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So let me say this again. Has anybody, ever, anybody in here ever murdered somebody with hatred in their heart? Are you seeing what we deserve? Okay. Has anybody in here ever committed adultery? Okay, a couple people raised their hands, so let me, just, let me just clarify a little bit. However, I say to you, if you, look with, uh, if you look with lust in your eyes at the body of a woman, or vice versa, of a man, who is not your wife or your husband, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Let me ask this again. Anybody in here ever commit adultery? So here's the truth. Not only can we not meet up with honest part of the thing we can't meet up with the moral part of our own definition like we cannot even meet the standard of our own definition of good see if she switches (laughs) rookie we cannot even meet the standard of our own definition of good but the bad news is this or good news however you want to look at it is our definition doesn't even matter. Our definition of good doesn't even matter because I told you this was a unique, a unique like, let me just show you, let me show you, let me show you. Mark 10, verse 17, go back to verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man came running to him, kneeling down in front of him. He, he cried out, because that's what you do when you encounter Jesus. You 
fall at his feet, and he asks this great question, good teacher, what, what one thing am I required to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. Only God is truly good. So who is our standard? So if our definition is not the standard, God is the standard. So the question is, how are you lining up? How are you matching up to that standard? Not only did we fail ourselves, we're failing below the standard of God, clearly. But let's keep reading. You already know the commandments, Jesus says. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give a false testimony, do not cheat and honor your father and mother, which we all admitted that we've done all of those already in this room, right? So by our own definition, we are not good people. And this is what this man says. The man said to Jesus, Teacher, I have carefully obeyed the laws since my youth. So by, the, by our standard, this, this cat is a good dude. This cat is a good dude. Like he's, if it, like this man, by the standard of the law, seems to have done everything right, everything good, and we would probably say a, is a good person by our own standard. Right? Like, he's got it. He's getting to eternity. He's going to have, he's gonna have a seat right next. If he's telling the truth, and he's not lying, and he's done all those things since his youth, he's going to be seated right beside Christ in eternity, right? Want to know what Jesus says to him? I love it. Jesus fixed his gaze upon the man with tender love and said to him, so even in our screw-ups, even in our mess, I don't care what any other church has told you, God is not mad at you. In fact, he's looking at you with tender love right now, just wishing you would come home. So don't let some other pastor tell you that, that he's mad at you or that he hates you or that he's far from you. No, no, no. He's looking you right in the face with tender love. Even in your screw-ups, even in your messes. We'll talk about that here in a, here in a minute. Even, even though you fail him daily, he looks at you with tender love. He says, and says to us the same thing he says to this man. He says, yet there's still one thing in you lacking. Go sell all that you have and give the money to the poor. Then all of your treasures will be in heaven. After you've done this, come back and walk with me. And we'll talk about all that here in just a second. But it goes on to say, completely shocked by Jesus' answer, he turned and walked away very sad, for he was extremely rich. See, most of us read that passage there and you're like, well, what was the, like, why, did, I mean, why didn't he just go sell everything? It was more than physical possessions. His riches were built up in himself and all the good things that he had accomplished, the good things that he had done, not only to earn that money, but earn the respect of the people around him. Like by all the standard, he was a good person. He was a great person. But he relied, what, he, what Jesus was saying to him, the reason he walked around sad is the answer that he, reason why he walked around sad, why he didn't get it was, was because... The, like the answer is pride. Like he would no longer be able to say, look at what I've done to accomplish and stand beside the king. Instead of trusting in what Christ was, could get him, he was trusting in his own power to get there. So this is Jesus telling us is that no matter how good of a person, how many right things you do, the one thing that's going to corrupt you is pride because you'll look and say, look and see how good I was. Look how great I was at this. 
Like, I was a good person. I never murdered nobody. I never cheated on my wife. I never did all this. Like, we, we could say that. And what, and instead of saying that I, I could do it in Christ, it's I did this, I did this, I did this. And it becomes a pride thing instead of a faith thing. Because right before this section, the disciples are trying to get a bunch of kids away from Jesus. And, G, and Jesus is like, no, 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 bring their parents, bring the kids. And he pulls a kid up on his lap and said, unless you have a faith like a child and come to me like a child, innocent putting all, 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 like when Jackson Hayden come, come into my life, it's this realization like they can do nothing for themselves outside of me and Brittany doing something for them on their behalf. Zayden Lyric are on their own now. They're a little bit older. It's good. There's this realization like coming to him going, listen, I don't care how many good things I do. There's nothing I, that, that, that's good enough to, to meet your standard. Like he, he had all, all of his trust, all of his faith in what he was able to do instead of what Christ was going to be able to do in him. In fact, he, he probably lost sight of, of a prof, what a prophet, a prophet said, back, prophet Isaiah said back in his letter to us when he, when he said this, he said, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. So even all the good things that this man does, even all the good things that I do, it's nothing more than filthy rags in the sight of God. That's why we need something different because it's tainted by something. It's tainted by pride and tainted by sin. So even if we do everything right, the, right, like the one thing that we'll still have is pride. So if we're doing good works... If so, if doing good works doesn't get us to heaven, then what does? So we can all agree that none of us are good by nature. You with me? So what can we do instead? So if a person is saying, I'm a good person, I believe I'm a good person, like I'm, no, you're not. No, you're not. But it goes on to say this. Mark 10, 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You know, some translations, you know, this, that word camel, just so you're there, because that word always has weirded me out. Like, why would anybody try to put a camel through a needle of an eye? And this that word for camel and the word for rope in, in Hebrew is the same. Right? And so either way, it's getting a big object into a small hole. How hard is that? Right? In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished. Then, then, uh, then, then who in the world can be saved, they asked. It's a great question. Because they come from a history and come from a religion and come from a belief system that you had to do all this good, 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 good to even earn earned to be in the presence of God and if you, and even to try to mount that you'd bring sacrifices to the temple to try to try to cover up and mask that sin like it was almost like nothing was good enough you with me you mean I could never be good enough to reach this standard and Jesus is like yeah you're, you're right you're right Jesus looked at them instant intently and said humanly speaking it is impossible to get into heaven no amount, no amount of work that you do no matter of good things that you do you'll never get to heaven, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. 
we've given up everything to follow you, he said. Because, like, Peter always puts his foot in his mouth and he misses the whole point. Like, he, he, he just heard Jesus tell this young guy, go sell everything, leave everything behind and come follow me. And Peter's like, we've done that, so we're good. Peter, you're missing the point. <laughs> we're good. Jesus said, yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and property along with persecution, along with persecution. Huh? Huh? You don't be persecuted? Yeah, 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 yeah. Cracks me up. And in the in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Here's the truth. For you to get to heaven, for you to get to glory, you can't do it on just basis on your definition of what a good person is. The only way to get to glory, the only way to get to heaven, the only way to be at the right hand of God with Jesus is surrender to and faith in Christ's good works alone. That's the only way that gets us to glory. Surrender to and faith in Christ's good works alone get us to glory. It's the solas. I don't know if you know much about solas. It's the... It's, uh, it's, it's these sayings that came from Martin Luther. It means by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. Solo. There's no other way. You will never be good enough to meet the standard of God to get there. But the great news is this. Beloved friends, what should be our per, our our proper response to God's marvelous mercies. This is what Paul writes in Romans. I encourage you to surrender yourself to God, to be his sacred living sacrifice, to live in surrender and live in holiness, experiencing all the delight, all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideal, ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Stop thinking you're good, because you're not. But instead, surrender to what Christ has done. Right? This will empower you to discern God's will as you live, live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in His eyes. I mentioned Martin Luther a little bit earlier, but I don't know if you know much about Martin Luther. Martin Luther was this, um, he was kind of like this monk in the Catholic Church, and he was actually become a professor at one of the Catholic, uh, Catholic schools in, that, in his, his lifetime. And he was, in, he, was involved, he was in charge of teaching other Catholic priests coming up through the Book of Rome, Romans. And uh, he uh, got in a little bit of trouble with the Catholic Church. It's okay, uh, he he uh, got in a little trouble with the Catholic Church, and because he started preaching the solas from Romans by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, because 
Because at that time, to get into heaven, you had to pay the Catholic Church diligence. Uh, I can't even say the word. Uh, and the priest, you had to pay some the people to get have some of your sins forgiven. <laughs> you with me? And 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 he was like reading like, like this isn't right. This isn't so. He uh, nailed a thesis on the door. His ninety six thesis on uh, Halloween Day, by the way. That's why some people say Reformation Day. Um, and he got he got excommunicated from the Catholic Church because he went against the Pope. And uh, he got excommunicated. Well, Martin Luther, being the um, shy, bashful person he is, wrote the Pope a letter. Just kidding. He is very brash, and he's like very like in your face. Like he wasn't back. Like he wanted he wanted to have a conversation with the Pope. Like to sit down and talk his viewpoints with through the Pope, right? To see if there can if, if Catholicism could be saved, you know. And um, here, you know, this is what Martin Luther said in that letter in this regards to full surrender to, to Christ's work versus our own work. He said this to the Pope. He said, the moment you begin to have faith, you learn that all things in you are altogether blameworthy, sinful, and damnable. That's including your good works. When you have le- learned this, you will know that you need, Christ, you need Christ who suffered and rose again for you so that if you believe in him, you may through faith become a new man insofar as your sins are forgiven. And you are justified by the merits of another, namely of Christ alone. We'll read it again because it's beautiful and I butcher it. The moment you begin to have faith, you learn that all things in you are altogether blameworthy, sinful, and damnable. When you have learned this, you will know that you need Christ who suffered and rose again for you. So that if you believe in him, you may, through faith, become a new man. Insofar as your sins are forgiven and you are justified by the merits of another or the works of another, namely in Christ alone, you are not good and the good works you do are swallowed up by the shadow of pride. But, but, here's why I said, stay with me. You with me? Paul would tells, it, tells us, he says this, he says, and the fullness fills you. Even though you were once like corpses dead in your sins and offenses, it wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religious, religion, religious customs and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. Right? This is where we all once were. Maybe where some of us are. The corruption that, the corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life or our pride or how we how like we wanted to do things in and of ourselves, right? We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everyone else. And then here's my favorite word ever. My favorite word ever. The next word says, but. If you don't like the word but, you might not be able to be friends. But God. But here we are, we're all this, we're dead in our sins and our trespasses and our sins, right? Nothing we can do to fix ourselves. In fact, we are so far gone, we are well, like we do whatever our flesh wants us to do. In the midst of all that, while we're dirty and unclean, even in our good works, it looks like filthy rags, so we're still dirty. It says all this, but God still loved us. That's the greatest news of history. Like no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how far gone you think you were, but God still loved us with such 
great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ. When did he save you? While you were still a screw-up. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us in the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Grace means unmerited favor. It means you didn't earn it. And if it's not yours to earn, you can't give it back. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. For it, is, it, is, for it, it was only through his, this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation. We repeat that. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God. So no one will ever be able to boast for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. So now that you're saved, what? Now that you're out of that mess that you found yourself in. It says this in verse 10. We have become his poetry. (laughs) A recreated people. That, that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. The good works doesn't lead us to salvation, but salvation leads us to good works. Why? Because we celebrate what Christ has done. We surrender, we worship him by service. And here's what all this is telling us. In your lack of ability to meet the standard, Jesus became the standard on your behalf. When you couldn't, he could. How? How does he do this? How does he change us? The good news is he he starts by giving us a new name, a new identity in him. Revelation, we're almost done. Uh, Revelations 2.17 But the one whose heart is open, let him listen carefully to what the Spirit is presently saying to all the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will let him feast on the hidden manna and give him a shining white stone. I'm going to just pause here for a second. Can you go back to that one, Lyric? Um, uh, Make sure the computer's unmuted. I think there should be a song playing in the background. Um, let me tell you about this white stone. The white stone is where we get our uh, the white stone is where we get our idea of a wedding ring or an engagement ring. See, back in the day, back in the day in this time frame, instead of giving a engagement ring or a wedding ring, the the male the man would give his soon to be wife and his wife a white stone with a name written on it that nobody else knows but him and her. It's a little pet name. Hey, baby. Is that? Up, sugar britches. Whatever that name was, it was a name that only him and her would know about each other. It was something special. And right now, God in, in heaven has a stone with a new name written on it. Your new identity. I don't know what it is. 
You may not know exactly what it is right now, but one day you know now this white stone morphed into a ring and the little diamond on the top resembling what the white stone was supposed to be. And he gives us a new name, which is, and written upon the white stone is inscribed a new name known only to the one who receives it. You get a new identity in Christ. You get a new identity. You don't have to be the same person everyone else has known you to be. You can be something different. You don't have to live the same lifestyle as everybody else does around you. You can live a different lifestyle. You don't even have to live the same life that you thought you wanted to live, but a better life that Christ has for you because he's given you a new identity. You are not who you used to be. But with that new identity, you have to have something else that's new. That's Christ gives you a new heart. Why? Because Jeremiah says your heart is deceitful above reproach. Can anybody really tell how bad it really is? It's a liar. And out of those lies come deceitful thoughts against others. So he has to give us a new heart. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it's his promise. His promise, it says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. With our understanding as believers, you don't have the same heart that you did before you knew Christ. So quit living in those vile ways. I'm not saying you're not, you're not going to mess up. I'm not going to say that that you know, you're not going to screw up every once in a while because, yo, listen, I probably need to repent of some sin I did this morning. I don't know. Sure. Ask Brittany. She can probably tell me like 12 things I did wrong this morning. All right? doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but what it does mean is that you're going to be forgiven because he's given you a new heart, a passion after him, a new identity. And the only power sin in our old heart has over us is the power that we give it. So no, you are not good. In fact, he is good. And that what, him in you is what even gives you the appearance of being good. It's because he's in you. So the question was asked. The question was asked. How do you respond to those people who think they're good, but clearly they're not? And it's the same response me that Jesus gives. One, he was he had compassion. Always show compassion. Number two, always show love. Because you were shown love. But have a zeal for the gospel in their lives. And Derek, what if they don't listen to me share the word? You're right, you're right. They may not they may not say they believe in the word of God, or they may they try, may even try to refute the word of God, God in your life. And but here's the thing that you got to understand is, you know, they can't refute your story of how these words and how this Christ has changed your life. And so you just got to keep sharing the good news of the gospel and what the gospel has done in your life. Because he has totally flipped you and turned you upside down. Because a changed life changes life.
We just got to keep, we say it like this around here, we got to pour it out. Got to keep pouring it out. When they ask questions and you don't know the answer to, it's okay to say, I don't know. I mean, let's find out together. If you know the answer, tell them. But always show compassion and show love and show zeal for how great God is because that's how you came to know him. That's how you were changed because Christ was compassionate towards you showing you love and had a zeal for your life to be forever changed. I mean, if you want me to talk to them, I'll be honest with them because I don't know them. So I'm just kidding, don't do that. Here's one thing that you can do out front is a little card on the tables out there. It says, on one side says, I'm saving you a seat next Sunday. Take one of those. And they say, I know we've had some conversations about Jesus and about life and those kind of things. And hey, why don't you just come with me this next Sunday to this place. Let's see what they have to say about life and eternity and God and spiritual stuff. It's one thing you can do. But don't, don't let it just be an invitation. Let it be a time for you to share your story of this is what Christ has done for me. And I want you to experience that too. I want you to experience that too. And then, we'll, and then if you get them here, we'll love on them like no other. You with me? All right. Let's pray and then we'll be done for today. God, I want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here today. And thank you for this the morning that we've had this morning, God. And I just pray and I lift you up. If there's anybody's life here that wants to be changed, like they make a decision now that I want my life to be forever changed. I want to experience what it's like to have a new heart and a new identity. If that's, if that's you this morning, you just tell God that. God, I want a new heart, a new identity. I don't want to keep living the same life that I've been living all this time. I want something new if that's you just pray that to him this morning. But God, we are so thankful for you and what you've done on the cross to be even make us from unclean people to clean people all because of you. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the cross and the resurrection giving us victory over sin, death, and the grave. And I can't wait to the day that we're in glory that our, not only our physical beings match what you've done on the inside, but that we stand face to face with you, the King of glory. The one who's, who, whose robe fills the throne room floor. May the victories that are in this room just leap out in our week. God, I pray all this in your name.